hundred and one. Three hundred and one episodes. I think that's why I forgot. You know, we're so used to now doing a live event with like Ben Jones, Christian, Nair, Keisha Castle Hughes. Forget the brewery. How could we yes, forget the brewery? Oh my god! They pumped us full of beer afterwards. <laughs> I, I think it's it's pretty easy to forget. Uh, <laughs> thank you to everyone who um who listened and gave us prods along the way, and we're really excited to have that episode finally drop into your laps. Three hundred. Um, episodes of Game of Owns. Hannah, thank you for traveling and, and joining us after only guesting on the show for a handful of times. Guys, we, after all that we've gone through, there's no way we can go back. You, ha- you have to be a part of this crew. Yeah, the return policy was 30 days, and we've exceeded that. It's 31 <laughs> you, and a half too embarrassed days. to show your face and take me back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's because that's I know that same joke. guy will be there. Works for me. I just think it was, it, it was really special and to, to be able to spend uh, our 300th episode together in person uh. Uh, for the first time uh, with Hannah and mm-hmm. uh, to do it as, as both Eric and Zach mentioned with uh, Finn Jones and, and Christian and, and Keisha Castle-Hughes David A. Peterson and, and really the just the entire Thrones community that came out uh, to the event and uh, we just had a lot of fun and I think everybody had a lot of fun. It, it was a four hour event um, from start to finish. It may have gone a little bit longer than that. I think Christian uh, got into his groove and, and DJed uh, it just kept maybe going. a little bit longer than expected. Mm-hmm. He just kept going and uh, I, I genuinely think, you know, I watched all the different events as they were going on and we had the costume contest, we had a spelling bee, and just, <laughs> you would think that over the course of a of, of a four-hour period, you know, we're, we're the generation that can never sit still. Like, right. the, the fact that these people were here and they were enjoying themselves, they were having a good time, they were laughing, they were... You know, and and I just think that uh, it was cool to finally be able to experience something like that so unique uh, to Thrones. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it was like we were, you know, stuff we dreamed of when we first started the podcast. And mm-hmm. uh, to see it happen on such a scale, not only um, live shows that we've had over the stretch of the last few years, but at a place like New York Comic Con and everything to be, you know, up to us was very, very special. And to all of you who came and visited and said hello, thank you. You made something a reality. Like if it, if the group, if if the world, uh, if the audience hadn't have come together, then um, it couldn't have been possible. It, right. it wasn't just one person. It wasn't just us. It was everyone. It was Brioma Gang. It was Watchers on the Wall. And you're gonna have to just sit for a moment and uh, and deal with this slight love fest on our 301st episode because we haven't. Um, spoken we haven't come together as a podcast in a few weeks um after what we did in new york city i remember after all was said and done and we had a late night walk to go get some pizza hannah where your friend insisted was the best pizza in the city we had to mm-hmm. sojourn far away from uh midtown which is where uh we we had it there in Times square a long walk eric's helping watchers on the wall box up shirts it's just i feel like uh, like 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 we've experienced in these books not to elevate ourselves to any level among these characters but just to elevate life in general because it's real um mm-hmm. we're living some sort of a, a legend or a page inside of the the chapter that's in our lives and it was a really mm-hmm. special time and uh from the looks of it and from what we've heard and from just conversations i had while i was there 
it looked like it was a chapter in a lot of people's lives, especially people that are excited enough to listen to a podcast like this or to go to an event and uh, celebrate. So it was, it was, it was special. I was just thrilled. I mean, everybody took a poster, those posters, which were friggin' awesome. Uh, you know, we're all gone by, by night's end. Everything, everything was gone out and I can't wait to see photos come in of where people have, you know, hung their, uh, <laughs> night of ice and fire event, uh, posters cause mm-hmm. I, I want to see them, but it's just, it's, it was such a fun night, uh, yeah. with friends and it was the perfect way to celebrate 300 and a great setting too. I mean, the, yeah. the hard rock was to yeah. me, a, you know, a very sort of intimate setting in, in that space that they had there. And I think it just kind of helped the night flow the way that it did because people were just so you know, close together, not, you know, to the point where they were inappropriately touching each other, but you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, just during the <laughs> not, well, not Hannah, didn't some people fall in love? <laughs> yeah. After oh, yeah, that's contest? right. A hundred percent. I spoke too so soon. There was some touching. I don't think it was inappropriate, though. I think it was. No, but it was true love. It was very real. <laughs> what happened? All Tell I know is I just saw two people fall in love. That's all I want. All that's I'm all say. you know? Were they not in that's costume? That's all I'm going to say. They were in costume and it was very magical. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole point of these things, right? Like, yes. it's to bring people together and to find your people. And that definitely happened. You know, I got to meet a lot of cool people and we got to spend time together. And so it's just special to be able to find people like you and who are excited about the th- same things that you are. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. Definitely. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at my phone from uh, the check-in. You mentioned the pizza place earlier. Two Boots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, Shout out. which had some good pizza, some it specialty pizza. pizza. Pizza's bigger than my face. The check-in from 1.54 a.m. when the four of us... We're we're sitting around the table, uh, in Hell's Kitchen, eating pizza after having done uh, a live show at the Hard Rock. So, <laughs> that's uh, you know that's pretty surreal. Uh, I'll just uh, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, and and everyone who helped uh, the crew at the Hard Rock, Matt, and everyone at New York Comic Con, Brewery Oma Gang, David J. Peterson, who I don't have enough time on this episode to even go into the right. the amount that he put into it and was Amazing. so legitimately mm-hmm. excited. He's he's uh. He's one of the one of the people. He's he's part of part of this community. Is, is stronger, if not stronger, than all of us. And that was that was a real honor to be able to to harness some of that energy uh, into the evening. Sue watchers, all the ladies at Fire and Lunch. It was just uh, everything was was great. I remember walking out at one point, uh, holding uh, <laughs> I think it was the Blondale, and just just <laughs> looking at the uh, the crowd from the side. And David was standing. He kind of reminded me of like a, a fandom Steve Jobs. Uh, he, he he was off the stage. The huge screen was was down, and he was teaching about the language creation and playing blowing some, our minds. And I saw the audience in in a state of rapture, just staring and listening. And I remember that he he was kind enough to allow Q and A to to last. He he said, "I'll answer all of your questions." Yeah, and he he was just it was, it was great. It was perfect. The whole night was exactly what we wanted it to be, which was a celebration of this community and of all things that are exciting. I know the off season is 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 dry in some ways. We have news and stuff that are trickling in about the sixth season, and we have hope in our hearts that a book is coming very very soon. But apart from these podcast episodes and and correspondence on social, there isn't much happening. Um, so mm. it was an honor to be able to put something like that on and to spend time with uh, you guys and for Hannah to come join the crowd. It felt like a normal con weekend from our youth years, except mm-hmm. 
It was business as usual, and it was a blast. Who wants to do it next week? Let's do it. What's happening next week? We'll we'll figure it out. We'll figure oh, it out. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just you be just there. tell me where, and yeah. I'll get my tickets. <laughs> just get on a plane. But yeah, I mean, in in the in the week since then, so much else has happened. I know to us personally, to the fandom, we had Halloween. Before that, we had the uh, Watches in the Wall Awards just last week, where they mm-hmm. awarded season five's best moments. Uh, Hannah, myself, Zach sat in on that and uh, facilitated some of the the gift givings that they that they had. I'm still getting shit about my uh, my turn cloakness on the house words, but really, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, some people are like, I actually knew that answer because I listened to the show, and then you changed your mind. <laughs> I was like, oh, I felt so bad. I was surprised. I was very surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but it's just you know, I, I like to when I'm on a panel, I sometimes you like flirt. to mix it up. Yeah, mixing it up. That's Keep it. things interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. I get you. I respect it. I couldn't have been more thrilled, though, to dive back into the books. Actually, when I was listening um, to the audio of these chapters, I just happened to um, seek uh, to the middle of the uh, the mountain and the, and the viper. And knowing that that was our last uh, episode, Trial by Battle, and, and that it involved that such a memorable scene in Storm of Swords, if not the entire um, book series or show, I sat and listened and, and actually went through that that crushing victory again of the mountains. And it really just brought me straight back into it. It just feels like getting back into a good book after all this time, even though it's been a little bit, um, felt just great. And these two chapters are so intense for with like the detail and mm-hmm. the world building that's going on. The character arcs are in full, full uh, fledged um you know, sort of exposition mode. And uh, and even though it's so close to the end of the book, I think we've got like eight chapters left, but. It's like a victory sprint. Mm-hmm. I, agree, I, would, I agree with that 100%. I s- scrolled up from the bottom of the chapter list when I was uh, locating for the reading and saw how close we were to the end of Storm of Swords. Got a bit nostalgic because I know we've been doing this for a long time, but uh, this it's is been a little while. It's all tying up, yeah. Just a, just a little bit, but uh, yeah, it, it's one of those epic moments uh, that you just mentioned, Eric, in the entire series, right? This this battle between Oberon and the Mountain, and we even talked about it briefly during the live show that we did uh, with Keisha Castle Hughes, and sort of waxing poetic about Pedro Pascal and 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 Oberon's character, and how uh, even you know whether you're watching the television show or you're reading the chapter you still think deep down inside, no matter how many times you reread or rewatch, <laughs> there's this chance somehow, some way that Oberyn is going to claim victory. <laughs> I, just... Micah, I was thinking of the Rock'em Sock'em robot um, <laughs> and, and, and in Indianapolis for uh, Indie Popcon, we had our Game of Owns booth and part of our mm-hmm. booth experience was uh, Rock'em Sock'em robots uh, dressed up as Oberyn in the Mountain and it was the weekend before the episode aired. Oh, wow. And we had people vote on, well, we had them fight. And then whoever won, we had a tally. And at the very end of the, the two days, their tally wor- was exactly even. And I thought of it because we, no one spoiled us, Eric. When I went into that episode, right. oh, it, I legitimately. And I was thinking about what you just said, Micah. And um, it was it was a crushing moment, right? Yeah. It hurt. I was just so impressed, I'll, I'll say. I know both Keisha and, and, and Finn have read the books. I, I'm just yeah. kind of sitting there listening to them talk about yeah. a lot of the questions that were raised and, and different characters and plot lines, uh, just the level of detail that they went into on some things. It, it was really cool to be sitting up there 
with not only those who were involved in the show, but just fans of the actual series yeah. and, and mm-hmm. to listen to how passionate they were discussing it as if, you know, they were on a podcast about they were on a podcast, yeah. which they were. It's nice when people care about the same thing that you care about. Like the hand, the, the story that we love is in the hands of good people. And that's satisfying. It's, it's a shame that the kinds of questions or the kinds of conversations, you know, cause the, these actors get interviewed all of the time. It's a shame. It's not, you know, it's usually popcorn. Who's going to die in season, whatever's the next season, you know, who, who would you rather be or who would you date? And, you know, and rather than the kinds of questions that we, we kind of were able to jump into, uh, you know, it's not like we can have an event like that every week. So it's it's few and far between. You get to hear folks like that that are involved with the show speak like that. So I'm glad that that was able to happen during our podcast. I think it's unique. It's special to have those types of people who who have that level of passion for what they do. And, and that comes from the, the source material, really. I don't really know... Uh... Yeah. How else to move us into these chapters? Eric, <laughs> yeah, uh, Eric, Eric tried. Yeah. I just, I, I think it really enhances just listening to Finn Jones talk about Loris, you know, and, and how that fan's in-depth question about his character and Finn talking about how he, he tries to keep it separate and he tries to, but, but also he's a fan. He's a reader just like all of us. I mean, it's just kind of, it just shows that there's something to these books, which we're reading. And, and of course, 301 episodes deep. Uh, nobody knows it better than than we. But um, but there's something to this book and this series and these chapters. And we love them. Uh, for the sake of everyone listening, we could, cause we, we could speak in exposition about uh, the world that's going on right now. But chances are you're itching for us to uh, do the normal Game of Thrones thing and uh, speak about this story. And today's chapter's... This episode's chapters do not disappoint. What a surprise. <laughs> Can I just say this Daenerys chapter? We had Daenerys and Jamie today. And um it was it was nice to get first off before we even go there. Um wow, Jamie Lannister is <laughs> definitely the Jamie Lannister that everyone has been talking about for years. And this book's been mm-hmm. this book's been out for a long time, since two thousand. Yeah. And a lot of people have known this Jamie Lannister. It's just we and Eric, we've been growing with him, but um you know, we're reaching the end of a storm of swords, and like I said, it's kind of like a victory lap. A lot of things are coming out right now, but mm-hmm. this Daenerys chapter, talk about a different <laughs> sack of marine. And she's in a really interesting place, <laughs> Incredible. too. Incredible, comparing herself at the beginning of the chapter to like gods and talking about religion and whether what she's doing here is the work of the gods, whether she herself is elevated to that status. It's like a huge chapter where Danny is questioning her destiny, and actually. It's not unlike, I love how we always get to the point about how these chapters relate to each other, but both Daenerys and Jamie are making decisions that affect their future and affect their fate. They're kind of figuring out who they are, and that, whereas that's an arc that all characters share almost at all times, if you're you know, a good writer and are doing a good story. Um, these chapters in particular uh, have a lot of that, have a lot of... Daenerys deciding what to do, for instance, with Jorah, and Jamie deciding what to do with the sword and, and things. So it's 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 a huge, like sort of, uh, it's littered with revelations and also good character moments. Like that, it makes for great story, great dialogue. These chapters are are awesome. I like getting back to uh, to Danny because it's it's a character that, or she's a character, I should say, that we we don't spend a whole lot of time with, and and I think her story. One of the big criticisms, I think, going back to A Clash of Kings is that 
it's a very slow burn, right? In the show, mm-hmm. things move a lot quicker because they have to move a lot quicker. You need s- some sort of level of, of, of excitement, a level of action that's going to keep your interest. But now, you know, we're getting towards the end of this book, as was already mentioned. And the fact that she is thinking of herself in this very brief moment as as a god, uh, you know, and, and Eric, you touched on this a little bit. But what I found interesting was in the, the very next paragraph, she starts going through all the different mm. deities that she knows about. Yeah. And that there there is a level of, of distinction, even amongst those that believe uh, in, in the seven gods of Westeros, right, that there could be seven, but the seven could also be in the, uh, you know, different aspects of one. And and I to me, I had never heard the religion sort of broken down in this way that even within one religion, similar religions we have today, right, that that there are sort of these these factions that maybe there there's different ways of interpreting the religion, you know, because I feel like with uh, Melisandre, everything is like very concrete, like Mm -hmm. there's no ability to divert from that. It was just something that happened to caught my catch my eye as a, as I was reading through seven yeah. facets of a single crystal. Yeah, it's the, the the very thought made her head hurt. Makes my head hurt, kind of. But I mean, she's kind of ruminating because she's just brought death to a lot of people in sacking the city, and mm-hmm. sure they deserved it. What she did with the the masters, of course, um, was just. But she is sort of a bringer. She is a bringer of death, and it's not that unlike i mean she's kind of um not giving herself a hard time but she's questioning whether she can bring anything but death because she's been fighting for such a long time to sort of we we know what her cause has been we know what her goal has been but she gets the information a little later on about how astapor has fallen again and she's like well shit (laughs) i i i'm not I'm not bringing joy to, or I'm not, this isn't working this the way it's supposed to. And am I capable of anything but destroying worlds? Or am I the conqueror? I think that George R. R. Martin does a really good job of showing the weight of power and kind of how can you do an ethically decent job of being in a position of power. And I, it's interesting to see her struggle with that. It's hard, it is right? a struggle. Yeah, there's no, there's no right answer. Mm-hmm. When she said to herself, "Do all gods feel so lonely?" I, I kind of I had to read it again because Daenerys isn't the sort to aggrandize herself. That's she's, true. She's very grounded and has been grounded over I want to say over the years uh, through her travels. And you think of the, the the caliber of person who she is and what she's already done leading to this point has been grand in a lot of ways. And you have to think about how people see her. They see her as this Targaryen that's that's in Essos doing her business and to her a lot of it's hardship and some of it feels like luck some of it feels like the help of the people she's with but but now when you're i'll just read the beginning it says danny broke her fast under the persimmon tree that grew in the terrace garden watching her dragons chase each other about the apex of the great pyramid where the huge bronze harpy once stood we've seen the imagery in the television show but allow yourself to live in the high fantasy world that is george r, r. martin's a song of ice and fire uh, the proper the proper way and feel this massive city. They have a score of lesser pyramids in this city. This is a city filled with pyramids. She's seeing temples, granaries, hovels, brothels, baths, gardens, fountains, great red circle, the fighting pit. She's seeing beyond the walls. She's basically on a mountain. They've captured a city that was so hard to capture that 
they not only had people sneaking through the sewers, which is great, and I can't wait to get to that, but they pulled their ships onto the shore, and they made turtles, <laughs> and they made battering rams, huge wooden cocks to break down the wall of this turtles city. Turtles win wars. Like, this is what George is telling us. If you read closely enough, Unless you're Mance that's Raider. his message. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see oh. the wall, though. It's that, damn it, sorry, the wall versus the wall of a city. And I love that there's like distinction there in George's writing where, you know, some things happen, uh, some things work over here, some things don't work. But this is the, the way the, like what you said, Hannah, like the burden of leadership, essentially, that, that she's dealing with, that Daenerys is, is, she's done all of this. And so now I feel like finally she's coming to grasp in this chapter with how much responsibility that comes with when she walks by the piles of countless dead and then stakes up nailing 168 people pointing at each other around the plaza of the city of marine at some point it's easy to us because we're reading it you know like okay this is what's happening to daenerys but you got to zoom out and be someone up uh, aside danny or maybe even against her and just be like whoa like this is this isn't the first city she's sacked recently and look at the scale and the devastation and she's looking at herself in the mirror i like this part when she says is this the face of a conqueror because she still felt like a little girl Right. And it's a good reminder. I mean, how old is she at this point? 15? Yeah, maybe. 14, 15. She's young. And so all the stuff that she's done and she's still, you know, she's supposed to be this massive conqueror and she still feels like this little child. Yeah. it. You do get a lot of that, too. Uh, in, in the comparison factor, You she, she says at one point she felt like an avenging dragon uh, when she nailed up all the masters around the yeah. plaza. And... Uh, that internal monologue that she has shortly thereafter uh, goes to the point that was that was raised a little bit earlier. You know, the, this conflict that she's going through, you know, she says it's just she did it for the children. But at the same time, you know, and, and as the story progresses, I think more and more she she has this conflict in her own mind as to whether or not what she is doing is really just, you know, is 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 she doing the things that a a proper ruler should do as she's going from city to city, sacking all these cities, hopefully leaving them better off than she, uh, than, than they were previously. Yeah, that's and her goal. Th- that, yeah, it's, it is the goal, but I think we're seeing that a lot of times when you leave a place after having been ruled a certain way for such a long period of time, not to uh, go and compare it to recent uh, political events it's not always better off, um, and and that that there's definitely some level of of sadness to that. But uh, I think she's she's going to continue to have to, f- you know, fight this internal conflict that that's going to be there. It's not going away. Be as you know, these cities that she's conquered in the past are are starting to uh, look a lot like they did prior to her arrival. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, and and I think especially in the later events of this chapter when they begin to talk about the Mad King and whether or not she's her father's daughter and just how her family in general has sort of had this streak of madness. She really questions whether she's got it. She questions more than ever how um, how she's performed if it's really what's best. And I think that influences her decision obviously the end to, to stay in Marine a little bit of time, but I mean, without getting too far ahead, I think this, this chapter in general, general overview is really the, the pinnacle of, of her arc um, because she spent the book getting to this moment and 
she's choosing to stay in a place where, so far as I'm aware, from what I've been able to discern from Micah, a place where she's still at in two books later. And I actually respect that decision a lot because she's seen how leaving a place so quickly can fail uh, or can be a problem for her. And so if she's... Well, she's not in the next book. Spoiler. But... Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> well, so just one book. It's not really a spoiler. Around. She's not there. So, I mean, yeah. she kind of takes the book off. You know, she... You know, it's, she, she get some vacation, vacation, catch yeah. some some vitamin D or whatever. Soak it is. up this chapter because we won't be with her for a while. Okay, no. all right, all right, fine. Oh wow, <laughs> sorry, Zach. That's okay. <laughs> but wow. it's nice to know, you know, she cares about this stuff. Like again, I I, I don't know how I feel because she's so young about like whether she belongs in the Iron Throne. I guess I've never really answered that question for myself. Like a hundred percent, who do I want to see on the Iron Throne besides like Brampton? plum right yeah definitely but uh you know in terms of daenerys we see that she she does care in a way and she wants to be better and she wants to be good and it's i don't know this is just a very interesting chapter for her anyone else get a little shaken when uh she was thinking about how she sent off jorah and barrison through the sewers and they oh, came man. back and uh she looked at everyone that was in her company she's like looking at dario she's looking at brown ben and gray worm eerie jiqui masande and she's thinking, which one of them are going to betray me next? And she thinks to herself, mm-hmm. the dragon has three heads. There are two yeah. men in the world who I can trust. If I can find them, I will not be alone then. We will be the three against the world like Aegon and his sisters. This chapter was full of these kind of uh, fourth wall shattering moments. I feel like maybe this was a bit of narrative release. Like, okay, maybe this is Daenerys's last chapter for a while. We're going to directly reference the prophecy a few times. Right. A couple times. Yep. You know, we're going to directly reference the weight of gods in this world. Seven <laughs> different faces representing one god. And then a conversation with Masande, quoting Lord of the Lord of Harmony, worshipped by the peaceful people of Nath. He was their only true god, her little scribe said, the god who always was and always would be, who made the moon and stars and earth and all the creatures that dwelt up- upon them. Poor Lord of Harmony, Danny pitied him. It must be terrible to be alone for all time. So we've got the lonely god of all things, Eric, guys, answering all the questions that we ask on a regular basis, right? Is this the answer? Is he just throwing it down to us in a Daenerys chapter at the end of what's probably his greatest piece yet? And I'm sure sitting, I mean, where Danny is um, residing, looking out on the view on the city, you would feel like a god. You're in, you're in a pyramid. You know, you're in the, <laughs> the tallest pyramid, looking out over the land. Everything the light touches is yours, Simba. <laughs> And, you know, it really just messes with you. I think that's what this is. I think that's, I mean, but then there's, she's also somebody who's had a prophecy made to her and she's the last Targaryen as far as we know. And uh, that's, every single one of those things is a a big deal to be her. But I I will say like, as far as this being a a good setting moment um, for the character of Daenerys, like, there is a lot that that happens in reference to, in addition to the prophecy, her dragons getting bigger. Um, she's she's watching them fly and play at the beginning of Fight. the chapter, and is just talking about, well, what if they um, don't come back one day? You know, like they're they're growing, they they're hunting on their own, they're amusing themselves. One day they might not fly back. And then what what the part you quoted Zach about her looking to basically find two men to ride with her like somebody's got to fly on the backs of the other two dragons she's got will she ever know someone so closely to trust them is it dario is it um 
Barriss and who's going to sort of be her fellow dragon riders when she eventually rides them over to Westeros and conquers it. It's all I think about. <laughs> I know, I know, me too. <laughs> all I but think about. <laughs> I know. Well, we're no, we're no closer to having an answer now than we are, or than we were before. But at least now she's got sort of like a, a home base. How many seek audience this morning? Dario responds. Two have presented themselves to bask in your radiance. <laughs> and finally, let me get a bit of uh, info. After all those chapters gone, what's he been up to since they stood at the gates of Marine and had that epic showdown, right? It says, Dario had plundered himself a whole new wardrobe, of course. Of course he did. In yes. Marine. And to match it, he had re-dyed his trident beard and curly hair a deep, rich purple. Hmm. Mixing it up. Hmm. It made his eyes look almost purple, too, as if he were some lost Valyrian. <sniffs> they arrived in the night on the Indigo Star, a trading galley out of Karth. I don't know if this is blasphemous, but I prefer the way Dario looks in the show than the way he looks in the <laughs> Oh, come on. He's totally like Stanley, Stanley Tucci in the Hunger Games right now. I'm, I'm, oh. loving, I'm loving my... I know. I know, Zach. I knew you'd like that. Somebody like, photoshopped that. Mm-hmm. This um, is totally my head space right which now. Which Dario? You know, door uh, number yeah, one the or door number two. Number one. Oh, two. You really? Yeah. I do like me some number one. Okay. In this chapter, he's he's making a strong point for being. I don't know. It's interesting because we've seen him cut off the heads of his own men or his own command fellow commanders, but he does seem very committed to her. And you kind of question not only with Dario but with um, Barristan and all of the great wisdom that he brings. Like he shows up. Uh, I know it's later on after the initial confrontation, which I can't wait to talk about, but he shows up and it's just like, I thought I might tell you some stories. <laughs> like She's lonely looking out on this, at the sunset and he's just like, I thought I might tell you some stories, your grace. Like he, he loves her or does he? Like where do these, why do these men um, swear themselves to her? Like what are their motivations? What is Dario's motivation? Well, she <laughs> knows that she could call for him if she wanted some you know intimacy or something but he needs employment eric is it i mean he he could retire so many ways if he wanted to he could he's old enough they've just well all of them everyone associated with this sacking marine could retire (laughs) with the like the scale of what they just did they just captured a (laughs) an ancient city (laughs) in a night exactly you can take whatever spoils you'd like and you can retire you can retire far east you can retire far west Choose your poison. Dario Naharis, I'm questioning this guy and the ease of his leadership with things like collecting gold, with things like bringing slavers in to make deals. We have a ship burgeoning with this ivory and all this stuff that sounds interesting. Hmm. I'm nervous about it because... um, just adding the way he looks and which doesn't really matter but it, i feel like george is but doing it all really this matters. yeah i feel like he's doing this all for a reason uh it didn't all just happen you know this is a, a world that george r. r martin's building none of this is random i don't know eric what do you think you, you catching some you catching some shade i'm catching some shade how do you mean shade i don't know i just think he's 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 From on dario you mean yeah Dar- dario's on top of this man he is on. I, I might be just swinging down the wrong door. Like, no, like, no, maybe. no. I, he's on top of it. It's weird. It's just because, like, thinking about how Astapor fell, right? Um, and this is a conversation between Danny and Dario and uh, this other guy, Gail, Gael, this this guy. Like, between between this conversation, finding out about how 
like King Cleon rules asked for now. But like she left it with the best, not not just the best intentions, because that seems like it could be um, perilous. But she left it. She left Astapor in the hands of a healer, a scholar, and a priest. That sounds awesome. That sounds like it should have worked. But it's just apparently those. Uh, it's a quote: "Your worship, those sly rogues betrayed your trust. It was revealed that they were scheming to restore the good masters to power and the people to chains." And then, like this Cleon guy, great Cleon exposed their plots and hacked their heads off with a cleaver. And I'm thinking, hmm, leave no traces, right? Like of your deception. This is clearly maybe these guys weren't corrupt after all. Maybe King Cleon is worse than them all. And the healer, the scholar, and the priest would have worked out. I know it begins kind of like a joke, you know, three guys walk into a bar <laughs> joke. Right. But I had good, I had a lot of faith in that in that plan of Danny's, and it didn't work out that way. And now. King Cleon's asking for marriage, and I'm like, she's 14, she's too young. Hell, but he's offering it. He's like, hey, I will give you this, your eminence. I will get rid of my my other three wives. I'll ignore them and their children if you consent to marry me. Yeah. Like, as a keeper. I like when everything, you know, I will get it. We'll obviously talk about all of it. Like, when it's all over, she's like, why does everything go to shit, basically? <laughs> <laughs> all things, like... She doesn't come out right out and say this guy's a load of horse dung, but she does. Right. I love it. Oh, she has Miss Sande is totally like guiding the conversation too, because Miss Sande is just as like skeptical as Danny is, except she's skeptical for Danny when Danny can't be. I think you're right though about Cleon. We we don't know much about him, mm-hmm. but uh, there's there's no reason to think that he didn't come to power through his own means and through his own desires. And right. We see that if a place like Yunkai could be in such disarray, then why couldn't Astapor be just the same? It's just that the person delivering this particular tale is weaving it the way that he wants to. And if you are to believe what he's saying, Danny is in some trouble, right? Uh, you know, he talks about how all these different places are plotting against her. Right. Uh, new levies have been raised and can be seen drilling outside the city walls, referring to Yunkai. Uh, warships are being built. Envoys have been sent to New Gis and Volantis in the west to make alliances and hire sellswords. They've even dispatched riders to Vias Dothrak to bring a Kalasar <laughs> down upon you. But, great Cleon, bid me tell you not to be afraid. Astapor remembers. It Astapor does. will not forsake you. Uh, and then, of course, the marriage proposal. But <laughs> I, it just it, it goes to show you that I, I think there is some truth in what he's saying. I don't think he's lying to her. Uh, and and, and <sighs> maybe he is embellishing a little bit about how bad things are. But I, I think you know, knowing what we know about how the story progresses in, in the TV show, there is there are definitely those who want harm to come to her and 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 not just back in Westeros now. You know, within Slaver's Bay, she's ruffling for, feathers for what she's done. Yeah, absolutely, Har- harpy feathers. Yeah, but like do these, this Kalisar that's supposed to be coming down upon her. Like, do you think that that's who she meets at the end of the show? Like, Honestly, the show at this point. Yeah. Okay. I just, what does it have to do with any of this? No, but I read that and I was like, holy shit! The seeds are planted. <laughs> like again, it's it's watching, um, even with the the Jamie chapter and seeing how some of that was translated and in the previous chapter but how any of this gets adapted um it's it's like a combination of intent versus the words actually used and it's kind of mixed in a really cool way so i don't know it's just like she does have a lot of challenges ahead of her though and i don't think anybody 
is questioning that. It's just a matter of which challenges she's going to rise to face and which challenges she's going to ignore. Like this Cleon stuff, she she's not quite sure how to respond right away. Her next guest, those mm. who seeked out her radiance, was the captain. <laughs> That's Dario's word for her. That, that Dario um, organized a visit for. Uh, it's nice to know some people that are um, at the top, right? You, you think that maybe, I don't know, this was... It just seems I, I'm I'm a little bit too suspicious. I'll just move on, but um, <laughs> this guy had a bunch of stuff and uh, was like, "I'll trade all this." Just all once I make room with all of this stuff. When you think about like how much people are worth, because he wants slaves, like how much mm-hmm. ivory do you have to move to fit in a body? I guess that's how much that body's worth because they he he the way he says like our ship is just full of. Uh, Zorse hides, and they're they're even better than horses because they they start with the Z. Uh, we need we need slaves to sell and lease and Volantis. You know, like he's just he's just he's just got he's saying all the right stuff. And she tells him, "We don't have anything for sale. We're not selling people." Uh, did not Dario on your walk up here just not tell you that? And he he's like, "Well, Daenerys, this is Dario." There are lots of people that do want to be slaves, and she's like, they want to be slaves, and he's like, well, they want to be slaves so they can go work in cool houses and sleep in even cooler beds, and she's like, okay, if they want to be slaves. Well, that's a challenge, too, to her, because it's like, can... She talks about moving. She talks about uh, all of these people who've been traveling with her and and how she's ever going to feed... If everybody in Marine wanted to leave because they're afraid of what's you know going to come if they don't leave... How is she going to feed them? And, you know, it's like, how is she going to feed the people of Astapor? How is she going to feed these people with her? It's just like, oh, now they have an opportunity to remain slaves, but be almost better taken care of than I can provide. What kind of leader am I? What kind of god am I? What kind of mother am I? If I cannot take care care of these people, and yet these surrounding areas are doing it, um, even though there's slavery, and I hate that institution, um, these people are possibly getting better lives out of the whole thing. And we'll get gold out of it. Yeah. Mm. And what else does Danny to do? The numbers here are vast, right? She's dealing with an entire city. What is? What else does she? And that's why she does it, right? She almost doesn't have a choice. Yeah, I was gonna say she doesn't have a choice, but it. it I feel like now is one of those moments where you can look back to and say her perspective starts to shift a little bit because she's really going against what she wants to do in uh, you know what's really at her core like her whole reasoning for for doing what she has done in all of these cities Astapor, Yunkai, Marine it's almost like she's she's giving in little bit by little bit right she's allowing any man who wishes to sell himself into slavery may do so or woman but they may not sell their children nor a man his wife. So you improve things slightly, like, yeah. it's like but a you're reverting slope back. Almost. Yeah. It seems much more casual, though. Um, it just seems like something that has to be done because we have Dario there basically forcing her hand and telling her it's, it's all going to be fine. And immediately after she says, Masande tells her, in Astapor, the city took a tenth part of the price each time a slave changed hands. Well, Masande sounds like she's on board or at least giving her straight up information. Right. It doesn't It doesn't exactly help like her suspicion that this isn't something we should do Daenerys says we'll do the same wars were won with gold as much as swords a tenth part in gold or silver coin or ivory marine has no need of saffron cloves or azores hides no matter what letter they start with Dario says it shall be done as you command glorious queen 
I'm just imagining him doing like a little backflip right after he says that and bowing Absolutely. again. Double My storm clo- right. crows will collect your tenth. So she knows that there's going to be some, you know, whatever. Corruption. Exactly. He's like the Peter Baelish of uh, it's, huh. Marine. I've never felt that way about Dario before. I know, I've known that he wanted to bet her and get in her favor with what we've seen, but he, he's better than Baelish. This feels strange right now. Now she's benefiting the city is benefiting off of the slaves that she just well exactly. well they are Eric they are but this is but she made it so it's a free choice right because she yeah. would never tell her people that they couldn't make a free choice so That's even true. though it's slavery and they're they're choosing to sell themselves she's limiting their ability to sell others like wives because that would have to be the wives choice so i don't know i i i understand what you're saying but i'm like eh it's still because she's all about the free choice she's not going to tell people that they can't have that if it's really true that that's benefiting these people and also if that provides a better life for them. Apart from the moral quandary here with slavery, I mean, is this not a win for everyone? It I, appears to be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's an ins- institution that's going to take care of them. They're going to be able to be teachers and stuff. It's kind of like, I know a lot of this um, was was presented uh, in the show as, as part of, you know, the sort of um, council room scenes. Uh, for the different challenges that that she's facing, and and I'm thinking, of course, of um, Hisdar wanting to bury his father, which may or may not still happen in the books, but you know, just the the fact that everything she does has consequences, and having to make those hard choices about whose um, rituals to respect. You know, can she really come out and be all 100% against slavery, um, or is it providing almost a better life than she can for some of the people who are part of it? And it's like, well. That sucks, but I'm gonna do it, and that's kind of the conversation she, it's the decision she reaches here. Only time will tell. Apparently, yeah. books from now. Thanks, guys. Books and books and books. <laughs> There's like thousands of pages between then and now. Well, then we finally get to two people who are much more interesting to come in the president's presidents. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> of, of, of her radiance. <laughs> ah. And those are Sir Barristan and Sir Jorah. And they're just soaking up the sunlight. Mm-hmm. They've been in the sewer. They've been not allowed in her presence. And now oh, they're just soaking it up. Jorah's like, Khaleesi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's exactly what he's like. Did you find it difficult to read Jorah's part? Or did you, I mean, you obviously knew what the outcome was going to be. But to me, it, it was a little bit uh, tough watching Jorah not really know how to react in this type of situation. Barristan, A+. Plus. I mean, he... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, high honors for Barristan. He handles himself. It's just, it's weird because there is this love angle to Danny in, in dealing with Jorah. Like, he's referred to as her balding bear. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> but you know, and she can't. She can't even look at him when, uh, when he's when he's on his knees. But she's still like to herself, thinking, "Oh, he should have been on his knees from the start. Like I would have totally had him back had he done that. Had he been just more humble and more um, regretful." But he he doesn't he doesn't seem prepared. I guess maybe he was just busy. I don't know, off sacking a city or something. But he doesn't appear totally prepared for this kind of recourse uh, of, of Danny right. and sort of this follow-up. Yeah, it's it's actually a little shocking that he doesn't have more things to say that would, or like he goes about it the wrong way. Speech is very common, I noticed. He just doesn't seem prepared for that line of questioning. And 
it's just very easily revealed by Danny. Just, I mean, she asked him how long he was spying on her and how long he was sending letters. And it turns out it's as recently as Garth. And it's, and she's just like, well, fuck off. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, she, but she's still, again, this love angle, she still lets him live. She still thinks about him after he's gone and thinks, oh, I could get Dario or somebody to, to call him back. Um, she's not a hundred percent done with Jorah. And that's, it's just interesting because he, she was right to point out that he has, um, but he has wronged her greatly. I, I just love that so much about her though, that she can be this, you know, strong, tough leader, but she still is very womanly. You know what I mean? When she talks, it's such a feminine moment for me when she talks about how much she misses his voice and how she's obviously very much struggling to be hard on him. Yeah. And I think it's cool that George is able to write this very powerful character without making her masculine. No, it's true. What do you think it is? What do you think it is like with Jorah for for her, or like for for Jorah with her? Like, is it is it love? Does she just appreciate that he was there for her in that really crucial time? of her life when she was with Caldrogo and like what is it about him that makes him like makes it so she can't for like can't execute him have you heard the Selena Gomez song the heart wants what it wants <laughs> no I haven't please sing it for me <laughs> <laughs> please sing it I don't, I, I don't know if I could do it justice but you should look it up after and the that heart pretty wants much what it, what, that's what you're gonna say is the like there's no mystery, uh, yeah, I'm just okay. saying just go listen to that song while reading through this chapter <laughs> I will definitely be the (laughs) 300th person to ever do that, I'm sure. And take a video for us. Please, we'll put it on Patreon. All right, all right. I was going to provide a completely different answer, but... uh... Oh, Micah, what do you think? I'd rather rather hear from you right now. No. (laughs) (laughs) Hear from me as opposed to listening to you. What is it it about Jorah? Why no, can't I, she kill him? Well, I, this is a completely different angle. I I think she, he was You're the one person. You're playing from Justin Bieber's perspective. Is that what yeah, you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not. What, what's that. a good song for for uh, um, boyfriend? There are no good songs. <laughs> no. <laughs> it should have been sorry, but I don't know that one. To me, it was just somebody that that she could actually relate to. You know, think about it he's one of the only people that can actually speak the same language as her for a period of time. So there is, there's a natural connection, I think just in that and no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> Wait, where was the pun? <laughs> Justin. <laughs> Never mind. Justin oh man. That was over my head, man. Yeah, clearly. And, uh, Hey guys, we went a while without breaking down into laughs. All right. So <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm proud. I don't feel bad. No, about I, this. I, I think, uh, uh, Hannah's response is is much more on point, but uh, I think there is something to that. Uh, but in this moment, I just I just think that Jorah doesn't understand that if he would just be brutally honest. I mean, Barristan is brutally honest to the point of being insulting at 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 one point when he's talking to her. Yeah, uh, talking about her family and the and the taint that comes with being a target. It's like everyone knows yeah. but her, you know? We know, everyone listening to this so podcast, weird. you know. She doesn't yeah. know. All right? She grew up under the tutelage, basically, of Viserys, the shit. Not in a good way. Not in a good way. Mm-mm. Yeah, but it, it's a stark contrast between the two different men that come before her. Barristan is, you know, 
obviously wiser in years and has a whole lot more experience, but he wants to be in her service so much that he is willing to do anything. And he's smart enough to know how to weave all of that together and to present himself to her such that she is willing to take him back. And I think that whole section where he's going through and he's talking about uh, you know, serving Robert and he's talking about you know, how he hid himself uh, from her for a period of time, not only to protect himself from the Lannisters, but to be able to observe her and, and to see if she was like her father. Uh, and and I, I think the fact that he confronts her about that yeah. and he's not afraid to do it, yeah. and he basically shoves it in her face mm-hmm. and says, yeah, by the way, your family is a little batshit crazy, and I just wanted to make sure that you weren't. Mm-hmm. And, and, and She needs that. Everything else that he's done. Yeah. She needs someone like him. I mean, who uh-huh. doesn't? It's Paris in the bold, like, I Namesake. need someone like him. <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah, we all do. He's just killing it. I also think it connects her directly back to her family. That's that's another huge. That's part the of appeal. This. Yeah, that's that's the real appeal is, and she has an internal uh, monologue moment where she's just like, "Oh man, he could tell me, like he mentioned my grandfather. Shit, like he could tell me all about my family that I don't know, and he can, and he offers to, and that's." That's the shocking thing is like she, she I don't know I don't say it's shocking like Barristan is is the guy who Ned Stark pointed out is like you're an honorable honorable man you know so we know that it's probably not going to be abused but if Ned Stark gives you street cred yeah I mean that's some serious <laughs> yeah. uh weight thrown your way but I'm thinking like about how easy it was like for him versus Jorah to just get in because he's like I know all this backstory your grace <laughs> she's like you're in you know, well, and especially when she's it kind of, it's a reminder of why she's doing what she's doing. And this that's time true. of this time when she's having this big ethical dilemma in her head, mm-hmm. he kind of sweeps in and he's like, I can remind you where you came from. Yeah, she needs Barristan right now more than she needs Jorah. And it was just a chilling goose flesh moment when he did not take the sword um <sighs> from Ben, he was like or from Strong, he was like I haven't. I gave my. I threw my sword down when I when I was cast away as a member of the King's Guard, and I'm only going to take it from basically a queen. <laughs> and just boom! I was like that was Barristan sell me. I can't say enough. Everyone knows. Just meanwhile, Jorah's just like gagging in the background, <laughs> just like you know. I feel bad. All for about him. all about how noble this guy is. Like he's just like the coolest dude. Yeah, he has all those pages. Um, yes, there's a lot to. There's a lot to. To look up to. I mean, he's got his stuff together. It's just George. I mean, if we're comparing the two guys, I mean, the the amount of salt that uh, that Barristan Selmy has in comparison to Jorah is just staggering. And it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't help that that he went first, and then Jorah's fumbling over his words and like basically making excuses for everything he's done wrong, then owing up to it. And and uh, she even at her young age can see the difference and the the character, and rightly so, casts Jorah away. I mean, he went second. Like, why couldn't he have just copied everything that he <laughs> Like, he saw that it worked, and why couldn't he have just, like, done the same thing? I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, put upside Ditto your grace. Ditto. Ditto your grace. <laughs> yeah. I say what he, what he said, what he said. Yeah. I like the part when um, Danny asks him one, or, you know, Sir Barrison's kind of going through all the stuff that he knows, and Danny's like, one day, you must tell me all. I was kind of like, what about, like, right now? You know? Like, yeah. we, we've got uh, a few yeah. pages left. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> 
I was patient. I didn't know that this is all we're going to get, but now I'm just kind of annoyed that, you know, that's disappointing. No, but but Jorah's got this deck, uh, the deck stacked against him. Um, She very quickly comes to the conclusion that he told Westeros pretty much everything, and it doesn't help that newly reunited Sir Barristan um, is like, yeah, I was there when the eunuch told the council and Robert decreed that her grace and child must die. You were the source. Like I, it's like I was sitting, I was in that room when they made the choice to kill her, and you're the reason that they had that information. Um, sorry, dude, you've got to go. To me, it, it it's a wise decision. You you don't know what is going on in Jorah's mind. Clearly, he doesn't because he can't really no put coherent sentences together. Exactly. But we we don't know at the end of the day. Uh, we know what he's done previously and, and he seems to have turned a corner uh, because he's done nothing but protect her since, but uh, it's tough. I, mm-hmm. I, if, if I were in her situation, I probably would have done the same thing. I think so too. That's, I don't know. That's hard. It's just that because he knows he's already interacted with her enemies extensively and there's still the opportunity to potentially get a pardon. She tells him to go back. And like, see if you can still redeem your like, get that pardon. Um, it's it's still questionable why she lets him live. Of course, we all know that she has just some mercy, and she's close to him, and that's why she lets him live. But it's not as strategic as she would hope to be necessarily, because we don't know what's in his head. What's to stop him from actually betraying her? We know he doesn't, or won't, or is not likely to. But what's to stop him? Like, it's actually not smart to let him live. And I think Dario is quick to point that out too. Like, okay, actually he was working with the enemy for a real long time. Now, even though he's made all efforts to counsel you and he trudged those sewers through uh, knee-high shit uh, to save the city for you, um, you're still letting him go. So what's to, why isn't that the straw that breaks the camel's back? Like why, what's to prevent him from going? Could be a huge liability. He is. Um, and he knows, he knows from being a counselor, he knows as much about her and her weaknesses as Barristan or, or anyone else does. Yeah, if sure. And, and if not to sell her secrets for money, what if he's captured and, and forced to give that information up? There's that too. Heart wants what it wants. <laughs> Daenerys is standing out on her incredibly expensive balcony overlooking yeah. her city, listening to the sounds of her city and a track from Selena Gomez. Filling the fields. She is the Nair Stormborn, the unburnt Khaleesi and Queen, Mother of Dragons, Slayer of Warlocks, Breaker of Chains. And there's no one in the world that she can trust. She gets up from her slumber. Masande eventually, you know, I, I feel like they have like a little alarm that buzzes. Daenerys is moving and uh, goes and meets her out on the balcony. And uh, there's a mention of a red door solemnly seeking solace in her childhood home. She always seems to have these very deep uh, conversations with Masande, and uh, there is that moment between the two of them that I believe was portrayed in the show uh, when she says to Masande, never lie to me, never betray me, and she replies, I never would. Hmm. And I know that stirred up a lot of conversation, and I'm wondering, there's no better time than now to just do a, a quick little poll here. Mm. Do you think that Masande could possibly betray her at some point in the future? 
Yeah. Mm. I, I, hope, I, I, I hope not. Yeah, I wouldn't say never, but I would say it's probably on the list of people who would betray her. I, I think Missandei is not very likely because um, the circumstances of how Missandei came to be in her service or in her favor. I just think that it's um, it would be a dumb choice uh, to betray Daenerys because you, you, she's really got a good thing going. She's sort of the most trusted hand servant, whatever that amounts to. Like I know it doesn't sound like much, but Musande and Danny are very tight. Not as tight as Eerie and Danny in this chapter, but they're, 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 <laughs> they're pretty, wow. they're pretty, pretty tight. I agree with you. I, I just think it's it's interesting that that specific question was posed to her. Clearly, Danny's gone through a lot uh, in the last couple of hours in this mm-hmm. chapter. This this last past day, I would say, has been very difficult for her dealing and passing judgments on people who have not been the most loyal. And Masande is somebody who she considers to be extremely loyal. So I, I would think that any betrayal by her would probably be felt just as much, if not more so, than by Jorah. Well, that's Absolutely. that's just it. Is she's she's dealing with so much betrayal right now. Like when when Misa Misande surprises her and she's like, "Hey, don't betray me," she just means that I'm like so vulnerable right now. Like I don't I don't think I could handle it. Honestly, I really don't believe that I could handle if I was betrayed by you too. And the chapter wraps up with her making the decision to stay in Marine. Yeah, and and I, a lot of what has transpired over the course of the chapter clearly influences this decision and her feeling that right now she wouldn't be fit to rule the seven kingdoms if she can't even rule Marine. And, and I believe that right now what's going through her mind is the conversation she had about Astapor, about young Kai, about those that were closest to her, not being loyal and, and passing information along and, yeah. Her head must be spinning as as she's you know standing out on that terrace, but at some point all of it clears and, and this is the decision she makes. Do you think she makes the right decision? I mean, do you think it's a good idea for her to stay or should she be capitalizing on her momentum essentially? That's the kicker, right? We've learned through other examples in the story by George's hand and storytelling where sometimes humility and sometimes aggression can be rewarded in different ways. It's such a such a vague way to look at it, but I think of the aggression of Oberyn Martell and the way that ended for him. And I think of mm-hmm. the um, not being aggressive and moving forward, sometimes biting our characters like Ned in the ass figuratively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough in this situation. I haven't seen, and I don't really know enough, but to me it seems like the mature decision, right? If she cares about where yeah. she is and she cares about her people, she cares about not only seeking her needs, then she would need to do this right. But what is the right decision? So should she be seeking her needs and heading toward Westeros? I mean, I, I think she just she has proper respect for Westeros as a, an entire nation, right? Seven Kingdoms. You know, if she can't rule a city, she's she probably couldn't rule all of them. Even even dragons get you in the door. Um you know, or three at least did last time. Maybe they'll, maybe three will do it again. But to actually maintain things that she's failing at right here in Slaver's Bay, she wants to get a better skill at. And even though it is at sort of cost of time 
you know, that's, that's really all it costs her. I think she's, she's going to gain, the benefits will be far more than the, uh, than the negatives in the end. If she is actually able to be presented with the right set of circumstances, the right challenges that allow her to grow as a leader. Yeah, I would, I would probably agree with that. If for no other reason that she doesn't have a lot of people she can trust. So mm. she's got to rebuild her squad a little bit. Yep. Regroup. <laughs> the king sat at the head of the table, a stack of cushions under his arse, <laughs> signing each document as it was presented to him. Can a chapter, can a Jamie chapter begin any other way? <laughs> like <laughs> he's, he's looking at um, essentially his son, the king, Tommen, and talking about how there's cushions under his arse. And uh, because he's too short, otherwise, to sign to sit at the table that is meant for the king and signing all of these super important papers, these deeds, these scrolls that are granting freedoms and raising ranks. This admin side of ruling is so glam. It's so glam. <laughs> and I think my arse is sore after sitting and listening to the tribulations that Kevin Lannister is so diligently putting in front of the king. Man, Jamie loves being a part of the small council. Things in <laughs> King's Landing are moving on. It's been a, a wild place, but it's back to business. Let's give the Westerlings a pardon. Why the hell not? Red Wedding's <laughs> over. Uh, guys, really, though? Right? The Westerlings? That's suspicious. It's like taking stock of all this stuff that's already happened and just kind of like checking it off. Yeah, they need to catch up. Joffrey's dead. They're like, all right, we got to do this now. Yeah, before we don't have a king, it's it's through Jamie's point of view. So it's like, oh yeah, things like his arse. You know, it's like he's barely paying attention as he's watching this happen. All of these deeds be signed, and he doesn't know their significance. That's kind of the great thing about this whole point of view structure is these these events that can happen that are being written about. Um, the, these events can happen that are being written about, but you just don't. I mean, the character themselves may not know why it's significant. We learned about it in different ways um, through the style of writing from George R. R. Martin. We go from, like you mentioned, Hannah, the very poignantly written female uh, character, Daenerys, to this older, more hardened man, Jamie, who's very different in personality. And so his narrative and his perspective in this point of view chapter is vastly different. And it, not that the book needs to be fresh or be, to be kept fresh because a book is whatever story the author damn well pleases to write, but yeah. he damn well pleased to write uh, a story that is like this and flows so uh, beautifully and in a lot of ways methodically. And um, we get to learn about the lands incomes and, and the castle going to Sir Emmon Frey. And this is the, what they, what they took from the Tullys and the Westerlings are pardoned. And we learned that Jamie's been training with Adam Marbrand, someone that he's known since his early days at Casterly Rock. It's just all sort of flooding. We're getting the, these official um, proceedings happening in front of him while he's also thinking about what has just happened, which, if we all remember, um, Joffrey died at his own wedding, scratching <laughs> holes into his throat. That's a busy day at King's Landing. <laughs> well, just in the second paragraph, you mentioned the Tullys, but the fact that we learn that Edmure is alive, right? Yeah. He's, mm -hmm. Which may have been left up to question, and maybe we got mention of it in passing in other chapters. I can't really recall at this point, but mm. it's certainly uh, important that the person who would be heir to River Run now that uh, Hoster Tully has passed is still living, despite what 
action it seems that Tommen is taking here, unbeknownst to him through his uncle. Um, also that uh, the Blackfish is, for lack of a better phrase, uh, most wanted. Uh, you know, he's got he's got his own serious black poster. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and has a King's a, Landing, a, a cool name that they can call him. Exactly, the Blackfish. Serious badass. And just like this last chapter, we're getting admin duties thrust upon us. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Different it, ways to play the Game of Thrones. Leadership mm-hmm. it, to Jamie is fucking boring. It bothers me, like, <laughs> that Tommen is just signing this shit. You know, but like, he's it's some. I, I'm not going to say it makes him a child. weak king, although it does, like, read something before you sign it. But at this point, it's just his age, right? It, he's much younger, even in the books, than he is in the show. And he's just. It's his signature, but he doesn't. He's clearly not actually reading what what it is that he's. Well, signing. Kevin's explaining it to him. It's just not probably sinking in every single word and and like he doesn't yeah. know why Edmer Tully is losing River Run. Yeah, <laughs> he just knows that he is. Yeah, maybe he does. That might be a, a glaring one, but he can't maybe, know about but the like West the the the, um, the the legitimization of uh, Ramsey, our homeboy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah our, our homeboy. God, I wish Selena Gomez would write a song about him. But <laughs> but so many things just happen in Taylor passing Swift here, did. are just thrown out there that that Jamie is is able to uh, recollect as as this is going on. And we touched on on the Tullys, but how about the naturalization of Roose Bolton's son? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. big. Well, and and that's kind of an ongoing thing this entire chapter because we find out who sort of is is promised to him. And that's that's a big deal, kind of. Like, yeah, yeah. For later, that there's some some huge ruse that's being conducted against uh, Roos with Tywin's a um, ruse against Roos. Yeah, <laughs> I think Roos knows though. Of course, but why it, not? It doesn't great. matter, right? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's weird, but it's like it's cool. It's just like this whole side story that's happening in this chapter. I mean, Jamie has a lot of stuff happen to him, but most of, like all of this, the admin work and stuff in the beginning is again sort of like a I don't say victory lap but yeah it's it's kind of sums up what's what's happened so far I mean the phrase inherited a shit ton more land than they had they no longer just have the twins this Amon Frey has the Riverlands not bad really not bad although I can't wait to, for their, all of them to die in a fire um <laughs> The biggest fire the South <laughs> yeah. ever seen. the Riverlands have ever seen yeah George always does a good job of orienting us where we are without making it glaringly obvious. And it worked. And Jamie's bored, so he asks if he can leave. And I think Kevin, just being the man that we all know he is, is like, oh, you can leave. Jamie, you should talk to your father. This breach between you, Jamie interrupts, is his doing. Nor will he mend it by sending me mocking gifts. Tell him that if you can pry him away from the Tyrells long enough. And of course, he's talking about Tywin sending him a sword, a Valyrian steel sword. He loves Jamie. Does he, though? They had a little bit of a row. Well, that's another big plot point of this chapter, right? That that Jamie and Tywin aren't speaking. Um, I mean, at one point, obviously, like much later, Cersei shows up and begs him to talk to him. But Jamie and and Tywin are not getting along. Jamie wants and is vehemently defending his position in the Kingsguard, almost to a fault. Like that's J- Jamie in this chapter again. We talked about how Daenerys is weighing her future and her purpose jamie's doing the same thing like 
it's it's an arc that happens this this entire chapter between he's he's being pulled different directions he has to finally um send off Brienne and he is being asked by Cersei to leave and go with her back to Casterly Rock and all this other stuff and he's just like no I'm going to stay here and write my own biography can I seal them now great uncle <laughs> that's what you'd expect a 9 year old to say Pressing his royal seal to the hot wax was his favorite part of being king so far. That's so my far. favorite part of being king. <laughs> like, yeah, oh yeah, except for betting the queen. I'm pretty sure that would be like a little bit better than stamping an envelope. Depends. I would hope. I would really hope. But for now, that's, that's what he's got. Tommen is a man of simple pleasures, or a boy of simple pleasures. He's also nine years old. Yeah, wax sealing is is pretty cool shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and think about it it's, it's a lion that he's wax sealing yeah so i'd be pretty it's probably one of the best seals in the whole land think about it yeah. he's sealing like naturalization of ramsey bolton done the phrase get the Riverlands done done bruce bolton's warden of the north this is a fancy seal it's probably done. super satisfying like hot wax too you know mm-hmm. and it's cooling oh, at the yeah, touch the, only the hottest wax hot yeah. wax it's great and the seal's probably like made of gold so it's like very uh, decorative yeah you know i want a westerous like stamp making kit or not stamp making they, kit, they have them all right yeah okay i'm gonna they do one I'm gonna pick one up. Uh, we're not sponsored by anyone, so uh, <laughs> we will yeah, not. It's supply very. You with it's, that link. This is just my whim. Yeah, this wasn't the point in the show. It's <laughs> all right. We've reached that time in the show where we want to mention this merchandise. Um, there's a wax seal. You want to seal your correspondence? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I'm just totally gonna get one, but that doesn't need to be like a thing. I'm just gonna go get one. <laughs> I'll, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> will you send me letters with stamps? With oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, but like, I don't blame Tom, and is I guess what I'm saying. Well, no, you shouldn't. I mean, obviously, no one's blaming Tommen. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and Jamie's not blaming Tommen. Uh, they all understand. I think that he's doing a great job considering who he just replaced. It's all making sense. I know. It, it, it seems to be, like I said, it's a busy day. King's Landing. Uh, Joffrey hasn't been grieved for that strongly, it seems. All is well. Jamie leaves yeah. the council chamber, um, tells Trent, hey, watch, the, watch him, you know, because you should. And we know that they had a, a little <laughs> head-to-head in in the tower in our last chapter with Jamie, and so that's fine. And now um, Jamie is meeting Stillshanks Walton, who's come back from the literary dead because we haven't seen him in a long time. Um, he finds out that they're sending this decoy Arya Stark, this fake Jeez. Arya Stark. It's like she's. They could have probably just sent a dummy in her place, but no, they got a real person <laughs> mm-hmm. to just pretend from now on that she's Arya Stark uh, to be married off to the Boltons. So this was a uh, uh, <laughs> really cool to read. I had to, I doubled back. I was like, oh, this is actually because when I said this is Arya Stark, I was like, what? Yeah, I didn't yeah. actually think it was Arya, but um, it's weird to be introduced to her like this. It's yeah. like. Because there is some doubt. He's like, oh, he never paid much attention. Jamie never paid much attention to Arya Stark, but he had a feeling this girl was a little older. It's just like from there, the seed of doubt is planted. But at the same time, it's still very jar- jarring to be introduced to, oh, yeah, uh, Sir Jamie, you remember me. I'm Arya Stark. Yeah, she, she's yeah, playing before. the role well. She's like obviously practiced. I feel yeah. so, I mean, of anybody in the whole world, I feel the most bad. For fake Arya Stark. 
<laughs> oh. But right? we got a preview of what she can expect. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't season. yet, but she's yeah. being married to the Bolton boy. She's not even know. actually Arya Stark. Yeah, yeah no. Like she but doesn't even get to be like, you know, Arya. Yeah. Like, Do you think that they're going to keep her in a cage? Oh, God. I don't. I, I don't want to. I don't want to think about it. At least she has like a month before she gets there on the road. Yeah, like, you're right. I hope this next month is really nice. Along she the can King's like road. live it up on the King's Road. I hope it's fall. She's got a month of shitting on the side of the road to look forward to before she gets. The to leaves are home. really beautiful. I hope the leaves are nice on her ride into into hell. But like the whole thing is, <laughs> yeah, like it's it's not something. But but it's just it brings to the forefront how important. <laughs> And the strategery that's involved in making alliances and making marriages, and I think it's questioned um, in this chapter, who actually is going to see her, you know, to to, to be able to tell that it's not Arya. Like, they're already talking about keeping her locked up in a room somewhere, not publicly visible. Like, this person is somehow being dispatched from King's Landing to, to ride and be part of this plot. Which it's very interesting to have full insight into. Like Jamie's, this is the start of this plot. They haven't even made it there yet. I'm sure we'll be dealing with characters in the north who are meeting this this girl up north when she's like in place when the Boltons are getting married and all this stuff later. But for now, it's just like, oh, there's this plot. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. Involving this decoy Arya. What the hell? And also, this is important. This is one of Tywin's uh, next plans. And it's it's really interesting to see what Tywin is planning, considering the loss he's just suffered. All of the Lannisters have just suffered this this loss. And watching Tywin... Are you referring to Joffrey? Yeah, because they got Tommen now, right? Yeah. yeah, they have Tommen, but it's like, okay, but, but the alliances still need to be made. Marriages still need to happen, right? They talk about the Tyrells insisting that Marjorie, even though she's twice widowed now, still be his bride. We're talking about like Tywin brokering deals with the Warden of the North. There's obviously elements, traces of the Red Wedding where, um, you know, Roos and the Freys are working together. And all of them, basically everybody we hate got a promotion in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are you surprised that Tywin reacts this way, though? Because to me, the only person that really cares that Joffrey died is Cersei. Nobody else really has that same level or near that same level of emotion. So mm. the fact that things are going on without really much thought being given to what's happened to Joffrey, there, there, uh, unfortunately, as much as I don't like Joffrey as a character, there's more important pressing matters that need to be taken care of. The, 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 there's a lot of politics still that are yeah. central to moving King's Landing forward. And we see that, with Tywin, with different things that you just mentioned, but also with needing to keep the Martells, uh, you know, Appeased. happy. Yeah, yeah, because they just lost Oberyn, and the man responsible for his death, and not only the man responsible for his death, but the man responsible for what happened to Elia, uh, and 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 to uh, you know her children, is is lying somewhere under the care of Grand Meister Pycelle and Tywin wants him fully recovered. He wants him brought back to as close to health as possible so that he can send this body to Sunspear and let them chop his head off. Yep. Mm-hmm. The King's Justice, and that's great. I loved this aspect of Tywin Lannister because it's a very good decision and he continues to make 
wise decisions. Right. And he knows that it's important to keep Dorne happy in this time where mm-hmm. they've just transitioned from another king and they've just gotten out of the War of the Five Kings, maybe. Stannis is moving, we've learned. Mm. Varys has sent fishermen out, perimetering, if that's a word, Dragonstone. Stannis is gone. Bycell's like, oh, he's probably gone to the least. Like, no, of course not, you old fool. Maybe that beard getting hacked off really did reduce your intelligence, or maybe you were never too smart to begin with. The more time time and spends with him, but it's uh sorry, I just lost my train of thought, like just in my mind, like thinking about how big of a piece piece of shit Grand Meister Pycelle is. Ah, uh, that's harsh. Not just making an experiment on uh the mountain's body, but using the mountain as a, a bargaining chip and like we have to heal this guy so we can give, deliver him to, uh, to Dorne to make him you know the an example of the king's justice just you know not not that that would like change a lot of things that's even if if you can think about it like not that huge of a prize but at this point we need all the the chips that we can bargain with with Dorne especially with Stannis on the move I think treating him with the rot with boiling wine and bread mold is gonna do any good I don't know <laughs> it's worked in the past yeah I mean that that bread mold you know might fix a lot of things. I just think, I don't think this is like Pycelle being incompetent, although I do think Pycelle's very incompetent. I think what it is is that the Dornish have their secrets, you know, and that's why Pycelle is asking to basically detain these Dornish men and ask them what is the poison because once he knows what it is, he can kind of, you know, try and concoct a better um, response to it. I just want to know because obviously it's different in the show. Like, I want to know at what at what point is Pycelle failing so badly that Kyburn takes over? And it's just like, uh, Sir Tywin, uh, I got this. Um, but for now, it's it seems terrible, right? Jamie hears the screams. Everybody hears the screams of the mountain, and you feel kind of good and bad at the same time because, like, it's kind yeah. of satisfying. Yeah, I don't. I'm yeah. not. I'm not much for you know pain and suffering for anything, but. Yeah, the mountain sucks. <laughs> and he's not real. So Even at the beginning of the episode, like we're all still secretly rooting for Oberyn. So the fact that the mountain is still suffering, you're just like, all right, it, it makes it a little better. <laughs> just like when you hear about like his veins turning black, and he's but yet still he's being kept alive. The leeches are dying. Yeah, the leeches. Yeah, the leeches are dying. That's yeah, a good yeah, poison. Yeah. All right, that's a damn good poison. Even maggots will not touch such foul. That's such like a yeah exactly. Right. All of that's perfect, but then also the mountain is still alive, and at this point, nothing supernatural is happening. Like the mountain is just a strong mother effer, you know. Like he's just this badass mf. Who's withstanding this? B-A-M-F. Now, I, 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 I think from this point on, he'll probably kill every Dornish person he sees once he once like he this. gets back up. Tywin's just like you will. Yeah, yeah, kill exactly. Sir like Gregor. Tywin's really been working hard on getting this taken care of, and the fact that he is commanding all of the Dornishmen to be basically free to go that that Pycelle mm-hmm. can't even detain a single one of them for questioning. Yeah. And in the book, not. More than a chapter later, uh, you learn that the mountain is, in fact, alive and that he's looking to be healed. So a little bit different from the show where they where they slow play it a bit. Uh, you get the the stirrings under blankets and other movements and things like that. And of course, the the appearance of somebody who looks very much like him uh, at the end of season five, at least size wise. But for, for all that uh we learn from Tywin this this is at its core a Jamie chapter and I don't think one would be complete in King's Landing without an interaction between him and Cersei 
and the information that gets dropped from this particular meeting between the two of them, uh, we touched on it a bit a couple of weeks ago uh, before the live show. I believe it was in a, it may have been in a Tyrion chapter uh, talking about what happened to Bran. And we, we basically get as much confirmation as we possibly can that Joffrey was responsible for the cat's paw that went after Bran uh, after he fell. Yeah, how about that exchange? They were just like, I didn't do it. Did you do it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Marcella? Nah. Hey, we both wanted him dead, but... Robert even said that it might as well just take out the horse if its leg broke, broken, right? No, it could yeah. have been Robert. He likes Ned. Okay. Jo- they're like, Joffrey, he was a shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that it's like, it's made out to be that like Joffrey wanted to please Robert. Or like was doing something was like taking his words to heart, and and really we learned that Joffrey did what he did for approval from Robert. Yeah. Deep down, that was the reasoning behind him making this particular decision, and that's because Robert never really showed any level of affection that we know of towards his children, and Joffrey saw this as a way when he heard Robert make that comment to act on the situation and possibly get some level of acknowledgement from his father. So it's really sad in a way. I, I, I just like the idea that uh, Cersei's waiting for Jamie when he goes back to the, the white tower. She lets him have it really in terms she, of yeah. the verbal sparring that goes on. Look, mm-hmm. she wins this round for sure. Like there's no, there's no denying that she has concerns and that's yeah. the reason she visits the tower. She wants to see what Jamie can do to help assuage how she's feeling, being sent off, being married off, losing lots of power in the face of losing her son. It's a lot at once, and, and Tywin's basically gone into, all right, we got to get get this serious mode. All right, seriously, you can't be gambling around the, the, the capital with your wine and telling people what to do and, and Pycelle, and like, all right, we got to be for real with this. All right, Tom and signed papers. Picel, how's it going with the mountain? Kevin, you are the guy handling melting of all the wax. Like we're gonna keep this in <laughs> a proper order, and it doesn't involve Cersei because Tom is gonna get married. Like it's it's time for the hard truths to come out, and 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 that's what Tywin's doing. And so Cersei's like she's gone to Jamie, and I don't think this has anything to do with her feelings or passion. I think this is clearly her playing the game and doing what she thinks is necessary and the moment that Jamie makes it very clear that he's not going to a um leave the king's guard b uh fight beyond what he's already fighting uh to fix her situation or c sleep with her uh it immediately goes to offense rather than trying mm-hmm. to be a, a teammate she starts insulting him she starts cutting him down because she has nothing to lose at that point because already what she went in for um, is, is a no, so why not go back to being the person that she is? Do you think it was fair for her? I mean, for what she's asking him to do. I I don't know if it's necessarily fair for her to ask that. I mean, who else is she going to ask? Who you else know? is she going to ask? Well, I don't know if it's a question of good or bad because the situation sucks for both of them. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what happens when you play at the top, all right? Sacrifices have to be made. You're leading seven kingdoms. Your father is. And at some point, you're going to be used as pawns. I mean, this is just how power has been throughout history, throughout the history of this world, throughout the history of our world, throughout the history of other fictional worlds. 
plain and simple, and they're they're in the middle of it. You know, they get to live in the castle, but they have to do stuff like this. Well, to to my understanding, the whole reason Jamie is so tied to being part of the Kingsguard is so that he can be in King's Landing with his sister. If his sister's somewhere else, she's being married off or sent back to Casterly Rock. I don't see why he would be so tied to being in King's Landing. Well, it's that, Eric, but it's also what has been burning through this entire chapter, which is Jamie is sick of not being a good man. He wants mm. to be a good man. He wants to fulfill his oaths enough to invite Brienne and give her his sword and yeah. tell her to go defend a Stark daughter enough to not have sex when he clearly wants to in White Sword Tower. Not only because they'll be overheard, I think he also just doesn't, because he, he mentions the fact that they're in the Lord Commander's chamber, like... And he's just not interested in breaking those vows. And he just he's trying to make a conscious decision to be a better person. And that doesn't please her. I think that this chapter especially is the moment when people really start to jump on the Jamie Lannister bandwagon. Right. Right. You know, he's he's defending Tyrion when they need defending. He's being pounded by Tywin and Cersei, who we're all kind of annoyed with at this point. So, so I think this is at least was for me a big turning point in how I felt about Jamie as a character and kind of starting to jump on on his train a little bit more. He notices Brienne's astonishing eyes. Oh yeah, he does. The visit. He could stare into them for hours. I mean, I, I think that's it. Like you're right. Like there are plenty of uh, plenty of good moments and reasons to love Jamie. I mean, this is Jamie's I don't want to say it's Jamie's book, but he became a point of view chat uh, character in this book at the very beginning and we've watched the journey between him and Brienne which is coming to an end here but like jamie there is something about what he does here giving away his gift from his father not because he's angry with his father but because it will because it's sort of the keeping it in the family it's like ned stark's own steel defending his daughter and this is what he sends brienne to do at the end of the chapter but it is about oath keeping he actually suggests that name for it and he's like i think you're exactly right zach like that surprised me i was like i, I didn't think about it while reading but he just really actually does just want to be a good guy it's it's cool to see. I mean, but we get shadows of the person that he knows that he is and has mm-hmm. been. I mean, he's still not redeemed. And it's not for me to judge another person. He's not real. And it's not for us to judge even a fictional character. No one has that that right. Like at the at the snap of a finger, he can he can choose to be the person completely opposite from who shoved Bran out of the window. And I think that's what he's at least going for here. But in his exchange with Brienne, she's trying to connect with him and apologize and sort of give him credit while it's happening of she was wrong about him because clearly like the things that he's saying the things that he's doing is is painting a different picture and she's in her regard been horrible to the person that is standing in front of her when that was inside of him the whole time it's just like it's the, this pain of of what people are and and how you see them and how through the lens that you're looking through can be a certain way because at first Brienne just thought he was the shitty kingslayer and he had a lot to be pissed off at that moment because he had just been a captive and he he had just been sitting in shit for the longest time and it's not yeah. that his situation now has improved who he is it's just that he's had more time to grow and he's gone through more and blah 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 everyone listening knows that it's just in that moment he didn't want the praise and the recognition like that's not why he's doing it and to be frank he didn't it made it made him feel awkward just to be told like I'm so sorry I was wrong about it. like no don't say any of that that's why he keeps calling her wench that's why he starts you know basically insulting her again to her face that's yeah. his defensive mechanism like I'm I'm actually a shit like just that don't don't like he's a, a ashamed of who he's been and it's showing I it, it's almost interesting that uh, he, the the first chapter or really the second chapter 
uh, in a Game of Thrones open or closes with a moment where Jamie and Cersei are getting it on and he makes a conscious decision to do what he does to Bran. And then here we are in this chapter where she is basically forcing herself upon him and he makes a conscious decision to stick with what he knows is the right thing and chooses not to go through with it. And to go from that to where he is right now, you know, to go from that brand moment to the moment here in White Sword Tower, that does speak to his character development. Mm -hmm. I don't think he has, as somebody mentioned, completely redeemed himself yet. Right. Because there are moments, uh, even in this chapter, where you still see the the old sort of immature in a way Jamie Lannister shine through. But to just go through this chapter and see all the things that he's done, which normally we wouldn't expect of him, whether it's doing his duty as, as Lord Commander of the King's Guard and sitting there listening to everything coming out of Kevin Lannister's mouth and, and, and watching Tommen make all of those uh, seals of, of, of approval, uh, whether it's uh, you know him re- rejecting Cersei, uh, whether it's him defending Tyrion, whether it's him making amends between uh, Loras and and Brienne, like and and at the very end of the chapter, taking Ned Stark's own sword or or at least part of it and and giving it to Brienne to defend Ned Stark's own daughter i mean that is not the same guy from what we saw in book one it's just not honestly i think it's i mean i think it's one of george's greatest accomplishments like with this whole series is we go from jamie's not quite redeemed but his character arc i mean how insane you know put us back in book one and say a couple thousand pages later and we're gonna be rooting for him a little bit you know, we'd all think that we were crazy. But. <laughs> well, and for how much we love men like Barristan, just Barristan, like having read the entry in his book and knowing that there's all these victories, um, impressive, very impressive victories. But for Jamie to sit down at the end of the chapter, write about his failures, about how he was captured, about how he was defeated during the Battle of the Five Kings and you know, or the war, the war of the five kings, and um, write about his real rescue by Brienne of Tarth, how he was maimed. This is all important stuff that you know would be were if it were written, if it were being written by a more proud man, he would have skipped over some of these details. Like Jamie essentially chooses to stay in Marine. He chooses to be a better person and actually write about his his own failures. Like, he's still got plenty of page to go for victories, but I think that's a really incredible act for, for Jamie at the end to be writing his history and, and to not lie about it, basically. He's really honest with how he sees himself, which you can't say for very many other people. But this is the book. Like, this is being preserved. This is how... That's the book that has been handed down generations to generations and mm-hmm. will be furthermore. And he's okay with... I mean, well, first of all, he's giving a shout-out to Brienne of Tarth, who ordinarily would never rate a historical book of this significance. Um, but be, it's all about those, those chance encounters, you know? It's all about those friendships. And for him, he's sort of... 
immortalizing the current relationship that he has with Brienne and the current status, adding, I don't know, this temptation to add to your own story that's going to be preserved forever is kind of really interesting. But Jamie doesn't, um, Jamie, because he's changed, is using the opportunity to write, like, be a better person and write, write about his shortcomings. Well, I think the, the nail has been smacked on the head there. George R. R. Martin has has really um, described life or at least tried to uh, give his readers a look into what life really is, which is exactly that, Eric. I mean, the path along the way, the, that, that current moment, the present relationship being preserved in the white book. Like we all don't have a, a white book, but our mind is our own white book. And did you think that when Jamie began his journey with Brienne, he thought it would become such a world-changing, life-changing experience for him or was it just a stepping stone on the way back home to see his dad because that's surely how it felt to us at first and right look, look what it's led to it's just you can't overlook the small things in your life or the medium things or you know the big things uh like maybe you're looking forward to um i think george does a great job of, of doing that of saying this uh aren't what define you necessarily it's all of it it's everything and uh Jamie says, I have made kings and unmade them. Sansa Stark is my last chance for honor. And so he sends Brienne away with Oathkeeper. And I can't help but wonder, after knowing and saying what I've just said, will this also be um, a big moment in, in, in Brienne's life, like setting her forward and also mm -hmm. for Jamie and what he'll have to do with sending her forward, like if, if they ever meet again or um, what befalls him for sending her off in this way like i'm i'm curious as to what all these implications mean because we're we're at the end of the book now and there's a lot at stake here because that's the nature of ending such a large story george spent a lot of time writing this he took a lot of time after writing it to publish the, the next book um we have to look at all of these things and pay attention to the fact that he wrote like you said eric brianna the book uh, all these small things add up to big things mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and i think that the job that's done to kind of drop these little nuggets as you're going through this particular chapter, they don't all necessarily pertain to this one character, but as you mentioned, you're getting closer and closer to the end of this book and you're tying a little bow around River Run, you're tying a little bow around Bruce Bolton and Arya Stark, whether she's real or not, uh, we'll find out. Uh, we know obviously it's not her because... There's something called point of view chapters that are from Arya's <laughs> point of view, but Roos doesn't know that. So uh, he doesn't but, read the books. Exactly. Wait this this wasn't my serving girl. Tying tying a bow around <laughs> something that happened in book one that that we maybe even forgot about for a time in who really sent the cat's paw after Bran. Like there's so many of those little things in this chapter bringing together. Loris and and Brienne to resolve everything that happened around Renly uh you know and then finally just being a man and 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 doing what he does in in terms of sending Brienne off to defend the Starks like what yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know and I love he, he sends Brienne you know that's what what was it Zach you quoted it um his last chance for honor and and he chooses Brienne and I I love that Kingslayer should band together mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that well so um I feel great after two chapters taking a 
small break through the busy month of October and all that it's brought. Feels oh, good, man. right, guys, to go through it these two chapters? So good. I can still taste that pizza, the two boots pizza. Let's go back. We have to go back. <laughs> we have, we to, have go to go back. back. Live show from Two Boots <laughs> yeah. next week. Micah, you could do a one-man live yeah, show Micah. Two Boots. You live- we, we would sell... 10 tickets because it's the fire code and that's like how many people can fit in I don't in that know place. if they could even fit 10 people in there. <laughs> okay, I guess you're right. Well, you've been waiting for this. We've, uh, we're at our uh, owns. This is Game of Owns. We give our owns for things. Yep. Um, I'll go. For Danny, I'm uh, going to give my own to Erie, who um, kind of makes love like it's a chore, which, you know, could use some improvement, but... Um, Erie is one of the few closest uh, people to Danny, and she's who she can rely on to get get some work done. So, <laughs> own to Erie. Fucking Eric. All right. <laughs> Not what I was expecting for the first own back. It's but... a free show, guys. Okay. It is a free <laughs> show. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, I'm actually going <laughs> to give mine to. I can I can just guess that Mike is going to give at least one, if not both, of his own to the point of view chat characters. I know this for a fact. Go on, Micah. Well, own to your heart's content. That would be false for uh, for this chapter. I will give it to Sir Barristan, who says, and I feel like this might be a popular one amongst our listeners. Every time a new Targaryen is born. The gods toss a coin in the air, and the world holds its breath to see how it will land. Yeah, that was really well said. Like, you're describing a really complex... Um, <laughs> what's funny? Like, <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's Sorry. just such an elegant way of putting it. Sorry, I'm trying to find my own. I just read something really funny. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's why you're... <laughs> Everyone continue your own goddamn thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> my own goes to Strong Belwas, or when it says... A few of the freedmen were frightened of the huge rats until Strong Boas caught one and bit it in two. Yes. (laughs) I love that. Yes. Not far from my own. Very, 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 very very close. Strong Boas, Jorah Mormont, everyone that was in that damn sewer gets my own. Let me just read a passage from the chapter. A few... Of the freedmen were frightened of the huge rats until Strong Bellwest caught one and bit it in two. One man was killed by a great pale lizard that reared up out of the dark water to drag him off by the leg. But when the next ripples were spied, Sir Jorah butchered the beast with his blade. I mean, I know that this high fantasy epic is written in a very deliverable way, but for the love of God, that's like a video game level waiting to happen, right? <laughs> That's like scary. In Sp- yeah, Spider-Man that 2 for PlayStation when you're in with the lizard in the sewers. I think it's totally- I mean, just a huge pale, just, ah, just, that's, that is, that's so cool that, that it was in this chapter. Like, we're dealing with the leader of all of this, so I get that her drama is higher, but Jorah and Barristan all of them were fighting in a sewer, you know, like, sneaking into Sack Marine, and they're just, mm-hmm. like, evil, huge lizards and rats that one guy bites in half. I mean, this is a cool, <laughs> cool book. <laughs> it's a cool story. It's really a pretty like cool it. story, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My other one, just, uh, I won't read the whole thing, but can we just give it up for Barristan the Chef? Yeah. Because I wanted to mention that during during the show, but (laughs) it just goes to the point we mentioned earlier. Just he was so on point and he was willing to do anything and everything and that's just next level as far as I'm concerned. I cook beef and to cook you greasy apples. Best of them, all right. Love it. All right, and now for Jamie, uh, my own goes to his uh, his brain, uh, the internal monologue when 
Cersei yep, point just of view leaves him. Totally point of view chapter character. <laughs> All right, Eric. Nothing wrong with that. But What's your own again? Uh, my my own? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I you thought. You know, it's, it's uh, funny you should ask. Um, <laughs> my my own is going to Tywin for his, uh, his, his Dorn plans. I mean, the man single-handedly is responsible for there being a lot less Dornish royalty. And yet he's managed to cut a deal or very swiftly act to preserve a peace that he has no reason to deserve. Um, yeah, definitely that that stood out to me here. Um, business time. Business time. What was your own, Micah? Yeah, what was your, what was your own, Micah? Oh, I'm sorry. I was interrupted. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It's I'm... when he says, I've lost a hand, a father, a son, a sister, and a lover, and soon enough I will lose a brother. And yet they keep telling me House Lannister won this war. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's good, really. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> From a point of view character. <laughs> it's really the epitome of, like, Because uh, I just don't make shit up. On the nose. It's <laughs> amazing. That's a really good moment. I highlighted that in mine. Um, I was going to do something else, but just to piss Eric off, I'm going to do a Jamie own. <laughs> um, <laughs> when Brienne says, you said I had honor, and he says, I'm the bloody Kingslayer, remember? When I said you have honor, that's like a whore vouchsafing your maidenhood. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. that's yeah. my own. That's do, you, but do you have like a follow-up own to like Selena Gomez? I'm going to make a playlist for you, Eric, later. Don't worry. <laughs> you better. My own uh, does not go to Brienne for having astonishing eyes. Oh. But I... Honorable mention. Uh, my own goes to Sir Jamie Lannister, who single-handedly was defeated in the Whispering Wood by the young wolf Rob Stark during the War of the Five Kings, mm. held captive at River Run, and ransomed for a promise unfulfilled, captured again by the brave companions, and maimed at the word of Varga Hote, their captain, losing his sword hand to the blade of Zolo the Fat. Returned safely to King's Landing by Brienne, the Maid of Tarth, and for single-handedly writing that into the Great White Book. Awesome. I mean, it's it's the new Jamie. Jamie 2.0. Jamie Those, 2.0. Those uh, were our owns. Did you like them? Good. I did. These are your owns. Over on Twitter, our uh, first own comes from, how appropriate, Brienne of Tarth. You have beautiful eyes. says, for Jamie, her own goes to... Jamie and Brienne's kind, loving farewell. Hashtag, a horse as homely as you. <laughs> Hashtag, but better trained. Aww. And uh, also one for the Danny chapter. Goes not to Danny. There you go, Eric. Yay. Not to Selmy, but to Nat's malevolent butterfly gods. They are just. They are. Next, we heard from Hodge Dog, who says for Danny. And own to the madness and coin-tossing Jaharis. For Jamie, and own to Tommen for enjoying the little <laughs> things in life. Yes! You gotta keep it real. Mm-hmm. I'll do this one. Um, Simon Adminson says, own to the poison on Oberyn's blade for making the mountains scream so loud that they heard throughout the entire Red Keep. Pretty intense. Is he louder than Lysa? That's a, that's <laughs> awesome. a good question. Good question. <laughs> Two parts rye. Cleon the Great could slaughter a pig faster than any man in Astapor. Bacon owns again. <laughs> yes, it does. Louisa writes in, owned to both Stark girls for going MIA. Yep. Yeah, I do I do like how Arya has been able to keep such a low profile that they're just like, 
Let's um have this uh, person pose as her, and that won't get us in trouble at all <laughs> because matter. she's so under the radar that it does not matter. She's well, it helps when you offer entire family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Do it. Do the uh, thing. Do it right. Over on Facebook, Jennifer Bandel says, "Own to three hundred episodes. Congrats! I've been listening through the older podcasts lately, and it's interesting to see how the show has progressed." In the first podcast, one of you was saying that the books seem too long to read, <laughs> but here you are nearly done with book three. I look forward to seeing all of your thoughts as A Storm of Swords ends and the next Great. Book was it begins. me? Is this another instance where I eat my, eat my words? It was, uh, I remember. But it was episode one, so yeah. we're 300 episodes later now. You don't have to feel so bad. I like yeah. these uh, books a lot. Jennifer sent into her chapter owns for Danny. Own to that red door Danny loves so much. I'm huh. still hoping one day she can find her home in a place where she is loved and happy, which is, after all, what that door represents. Mm. Okay, some theorizing there. And for Jamie, own to Cersei, you great golden <laughs> fool. He's lied to you a thousand <laughs> times, and so have I. Yeah. Yeah. And an own to George R. R. Martin for two chapters back to back where the characters list all that they have lost. Mm. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Miranda Sanks. Danny, Owen, goes to Masande for this great moment. Gale smiled. His teeth were brown and rotten. Great Cleon will give you many strong sons. Danny found herself bereft of words, but little Masande came to her rescue. Did his first wife give him sons? Little Masande may be, and so was her line, but this owned. For Jamie, Owen to Jamie. Forgiving the sword that was once ice to Brienne to protect the Stark girls, if she can find one. And he called it Oathkeeper. Character development at its sweetest. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, Reese Palazzolo says, Danny's own goes to Sir Barristan Selmy for finally schooling Daenerys in her family history, the good and the bad. And then for Jamie, Owen has to go to Jamie for doing nothing but good in this chapter. Good to see he has finally turned over a new leaf and is trying to repair what little honor others think he has. And P.S. Congrats on hitting a big 300. Been listening Woo. since season three and have enjoyed every minute. Keep up the good work, guys. Thank you. Yeah. We heard from Simon again, uh, this time on Facebook, saying, own to Tywin's first joke that I can remember and making fun of Pycelle. <laughs> Here's the quote. Did you turn into an utter fool when Tyrion shaved your beard? <laughs> of course he did. Of course he did. No, he was Healing. a fool to begin with. No, yeah. And... <laughs> Finally, from Christina B. Klein, in the Danny chapter, my own goes to George Railroad Martin for one of my favorite questions of the series. The dragon has three heads, so who are the other two who will ride with Danny when the dragons are ready? Yes, 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 yes. Have we already gotten clues? Do the dragon's colors have anything to do with the house of the rider? Oh, God. I know this is an Aragon, and I know George often sets up for things we think are eventualities that never happen. But I love this question, and to Oberyn, for having more advanced knowledge of poisons than Pycelle, and for bringing true suffering to the mountain for once in his miserable life. Damn, that's deep. That is deep. Thank you to everyone for writing in. It's just good to read Owns again. Yeah, it really yeah, really is, it getting is. back into it. Yeah, It's yeah. my favorite part, I think, seeing what everyone else has to say. Yeah. I'm good. They're smart people. Funny people. We hope that you all had a fantastic Halloween. Yes. Certainly. It is the month of November. So nothing less than five Damn. stars are available on iTunes. It's like the third iTunes plug I've done in 300 episodes. High five me. Nice job. Savor it. Thank you. Savor it. If you guys want to submit your owns for the next set of chapters, uh, we do collect them as you've just seen and witnessed. 
uh, over on Twitter, twitter.com slash Game of Owns. Facebook, just search Game of Owns. And our email address, contact gameofowns.com. And can I just say that the um, Snapchat tier on Patreon is hilarious. I was, oh, yeah. It's just because we get them sent back. And I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> I didn't even think about this. Uh, that's, that's, that's cool. That Snapchat account that you mentioned is available for our Kingsguard members over on Patreon at patreon.com slash goo. Let's just say that uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, good things uh, finding their way over to our Patreon, I would say, in the next coming days uh, as we... Uh, compile all of the videos and photos we have from our adventures in New York City. I, I do recall Zach having to try and pin the dagger on Jon Snow yeah. uh, in, a, in a bar one night. Blindfolded. Uh, and Blindfolded, by the way. Yeah. So, mostly, uh, mostly I remember walking around with two large suitcases and being filmed doing it <laughs> down yeah. in the streets of New York. Suitcases with my shoes. full of cash. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You guys, if you guys want to see me struggle with Suitcases full of... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wearing Micah's shoes. There's Eric talking to a skull, so there's skull-on-skull conversation. Oh, and I'm going to tell you guys all about these zinc supplement tablets that I've been uh, enjoying. <laughs> Dude, I saw a commercial for that. <laughs> Clear, clearly, there's a lot There's a lot happening. Um, if you love the podcast, uh, we don't have advertisers. We are completely supported uh, by you. And uh, we're going into another 300 episodes, probably. So if you if you love the podcast and you want to support the show, patreon.com slash Q. What's really fun is that we're able to kind of give back even more than the podcast. We have uh, that. I don't even know. We don't have a name for it. We just call them chapters. We have a monthly behind-the-scenes episode that is usually video. And uh, here in the next handful of days will be uh, full, like Micah said, of video from... Our adventures in New York, and for the love of God, if you care at all, this is the one. This is the one. It is ridiculous. <laughs> this is the one. More than you could ever hope for. More than you could. It's, it's all your dreams are going to come true. <laughs> there you have it. Hannah said it. So it must be true. It must be true. Our uh, next milestone goal, if reached, is to do commentary for uh, season two of Game of Thrones. So that would be bad. nice. Not too bad. Go listen to our season one ones. One one. One one. To one one sea. to the sea. <laughs> So John and Arya are up next. Ooh, the real Arya. The real Arya, yeah. not the fake one. <laughs> Everybody, get your owns ready. We are heading towards the end of A Storm of Swords. Ooh. Just think, in the next couple of weeks, we will be there. We will have finished the third book in A Song of Ice and Fire series. It's pretty crazy to think about. I'm looking forward to the ending in particular to share with these three lovely people, just as we've spent the last 300 episodes together. It's been just amazing uh, to say that we're doing our 301st episode right now. Uh, <laughs> and it's really all due to all of you listening because we wouldn't be here without you. We wouldn't have made it this far. Yes, we like talking to each other, but uh, the fact that uh, you're willing to listen and interact with us on a regular, consistent basis is what makes this so much fun to do each and every